0: Hello and welcome to this Thursday, August 8th, 2019 episode of the Law of Success Mastermind. Today we are on Think and Grow Rich. This week we are on The Habit of Doing More Than Paid For. And there isn't that chapter in Think and Grow Rich. So we are i kind of forced to choose what chapter to go through, and I chose organized planning. We're going to read the first half tonight, and we'll go over the second half tomorrow night. Alright, let's begin. Organized planning. The crystallization of desire into action. The sixth step toward riches. You have learned that everything man creates or acquires begins in the form of desire. That desire is taken on the first lap of its journey, from the abstract to the concrete, into the workshop of the imagination, where plans for its transition are created and organized. In chapter 2, you are instructed to take six definite practical steps as your first move in translating the desire money into its monetary equivalent. One of these steps is the formation of a definite practical plan, or plans through which this transformation may be made. You will now be instructed how to build plans which will be practical the v... start with A... A. Ally yourself with a group of as many people as you may need for the creation and carrying out of your plan or plans for the accumulation of money, making use of the mastermind principle described in a later chapter. Compliance with this instruction is absolutely essential. Do not neglect it. B. Before forming your mastermind alliance, decide what advantages and benefits you may offer the individual members of your group in return for their cooperation. No one will work indefinitely without some form of compensation. No intelligent person will either request or expect another to work without adequate compensation, although this may not always be in the form of money. C. Arrange to meet with the members of your mastermind group at least twice a week and more often if possible until you have jointly perfected the necessary plan or plans for the accumulation of money. D. Maintain perfect harmony between yourself and every member of your mastermind group. If you fail to carry out the instruction to the letter, you may expect to meet with failure. The mastermind principle cannot obtain where perfect harmony does not prevail. Keep in mind these facts. First, you are engaged in an undertaking of major importance to you. To be sure of success, you must have plans which are faultless. Second, You must have the advantage of the experience, education, native ability, and imagination of other minds. This is in harmony with the methods followed by every person who has accumulated a great fortune. No individual has sufficient experience, education, native ability, and knowledge to ensure the accumulation of a great fortune without the cooperation of other people. Every plan you adopt in your, endeavor, in your endeavor to accumulate wealth should be the joint creation of yourself and every other member of your mastermind group. You may originate your own plans, either in whole or in part, but see that those plans are checked and approved by the members of your mastermind alliance. If your first plan fails, try another. If the first plan which you adopt does not work successfully, replace it with a new plan. If this new plan fails to work, replace it in turn with still another, and so on, until you find a plan which does work. Right here is the point at which the majority of men meet with failure because of their lack of persistence in creating new plans to take the place of those which fail. The most intelligent man living cannot succeed in accumulating money, nor in any other undertaking, without plans which are practical and workable. Just keep this fact in mind, and remember when your plans fail, that temporary defeat is not permanent failure. It may only mean that your plans have not been sound. Build other plans. Start all over again. Temporary defeat should mean only one thing. The certain knowledge that there is something wrong with your plan. Millions of men go through life in misery and poverty because they lack a sound plan through which to accumulate a fortune. Your achievement can be no greater than your plans are sound. No man is ever whipped until he quits in his own mind. James J Hill met with temporary defeat when he first endeavored to raise the necessary capital to build a railroad from the east to the west but he too turned to defeat and turned defeat into victory through new plans Henry Ford met with temporary defeat not only at the beginning of his automobile career but after he had gone far toward the top he created new plans and went marching on to financial victory We see men who have accumulated great fortunes, but we often recognize only their triumph, overlooking the temporary defeats which they had to surmount before arriving. No follower of this philosophy can reasonably expect to accumulate a fortune without experiencing temporary defeat. When defeat comes, accept it as a signal that your plans are not sound rebuild those plans, and set sail once more toward your coveted goal. If you give up before your goal has been reached, you are a quitter. A quitter never wins, and a winner never quits. Lift this sentence out, write it on a piece of paper in letters an inch high, and place it where you will see it every night before you go to sleep, and every morning before you go to work. When you begin to select members for your mastermind group, endeavor to select those who do not take defeat seriously. Some people foolishly believe that only money can make money. This is not true. Desire transmuted into its monetary equivalent, through the principles laid down here, is the agency through which money is made. Money of itself is nothing but inert manner. It cannot move Think or talk but it can hear when a man who desires it calls it to come planning the sale of personal services intelligent planning is essential for success in any undertaking designing designed to <clears throat> intelligent planning is essential for success in any undertaking designed to accumulate riches here will be found detailed instructions to those who must begin the accumulation of riches by selling personal services. It should be encouraging to know that practically all the great fortunes began in the form of compensation for personal services, or from the sale of ideas. What else, except ideas and personal services, would one not possessed of property have to give in return for riches? Most leaders begin as followers. Broadly speaking, there are two types of people in the world. One type is known as leaders, and the other as followers. Decide at the outset whether you intend to become a leader in your chosen calling or remain a follower. The difference in compensation is vast. The follower cannot reasonably expect the compensation to which a leader is entitled, although many followers make the mistake of expecting such pay. It is no disgrace to be a follower. On the other hand, it is no credit to remain a follower. Most great leaders began in the capacity of followers. They became great leaders because they were intelligent followers. With few exceptions, the man who cannot follow a leader intelligently cannot become an efficient leader. The man who cannot follow a leader most efficiently is usually the man who develops into leadership most rapidly. The man who can follow a leader most efficiently is usually the man who develops into leadership most rapidly. An intelligent follower has many advantages, among them the opportunity to acquire knowledge from his leader. The major attributes of leadership. The following are important factors of leadership. The following are important factors of leadership. We're going to go through 11 factors of leadership. Number one, unwavering courage based upon knowledge of self and of one's occupation. No follower wishes to be dominated by a leader who lacks self-confidence and courage. No intelligent follower will be dominated by such a leader very long. 2. Self-control. The man who cannot control himself can never control others. Self-control sets a mighty example for one's followers, which the more intelligent will emulate. 3. A keen sense of justice. Without a sense of fairness and justice, no leader can command and retain the respect of his followers. 4. Definiteness of, desi- of decisions. The man who wavers in his decisions shows that he is not sure of himself, cannot lead others successfully. 5. Definiteness of plans. The successful leader must plan his work and work his plan. A leader who moves by guesswork work without practical definite plans is comparable to a ship without a rudder. Sooner or later, he will land on the rocks number 6 the habit of doing more than paid for one of the penalties of leadership is the ne- is the necessity of willingness upon the part of the leader to do more than he requires of his followers 7 a pleasing personality no slovenly careless person can become a successful leader leadership calls for respect followers will not respect a leader who does not grade high on all of the factors of a pleasing personality. 8. Sympathy and understanding. The successful leader must be in sympathy with his followers. Moreover, he must understand them and their problems. 9. Mastery of detail. Successful leadership calls for mastery of the details of the leader's position. 10. Willingness to Assume Full Responsibility The successful leader must be willing to assume responsibility for the mistakes and the shortcomings of his followers. If he tries to shift his respons- this responsibility, he will not remain the leader. If one of his followers makes a mistake and shows himself incompetent, the leader must consider that it is he who failed. Cooperation. This is number 11. The successful leader must understand and apply the principle of cooperative effort and be able to induce his followers to do the same. Leadership calls for power, and power calls for cooperation. There are two forms of leadership. The first, and by far the most effective, is leadership by consent of and with the sympathy of the followers. The second is leadership by force, without the consent and sympathy of the followers. History is filled with evidences that leadership by force cannot endure. That cannot endure. The downfall and disappearance of dictators and kings is significant. It means that people will not follow forced leadership indefinitely. Napoleon, Mussolini, Hitler were examples of leadership by force. Their leadership passed. Their leadership passed. Leadership by consent of the followers is the only brand which can endure. Many men, many oops, sorry. Men may follow the forced leadership temporarily, but they will not do so willingly. The new brand of leadership will embrace the 11 factors of leadership described in this chapter, as well as some other factors. The man who makes these the basis of his leadership will find abundant opportunity to lead in any walk of life. The 10 major causes of failure in leadership. We come now to the major faults of leaders who fail because it is just as essential to know what not to do as it is to know what to do. Number one, inability to organize details. Efficient leadership calls for Ability to organize and to master details. No genuine leader is ever too busy to do anything which may be required of him in his capacity as leader. When a man, whether he is a leader or follower, admits that he is too busy to change his plans or to give attention to an emergency, he admits his inefficiency. The successful leader must be the master of all details connected with his position. That means, of course, that he must acquire the habit of relegating details to capable lieutenants. 2. Unwillingness to render humble service. Truly great leaders are willing, when occasion demands, to perform any sort of labor which they would ask another to perform. The greatest among ye shall be the servant of all, is a truth which all able leaders observe and respect. Number three, expectation of pay for what they know instead of what they do with that which they know. The world does not pay men for that which they know. It pays them for that which they do or induce others to do. Expectation of pay for what they know. Sorry, I'm repeating that. Number four, fear of competition from followers, the leader who fears that one of his followers may take his position is practically sure to realize that fear soon. Is practically sure to realize that fear sooner or later. The able leader trains understudies to whom he may delegate, at will, any of the details of his position. Only in this way may a leader multiply himself and prepare himself to be at many places, and give attention to many things at one time. It is an eternal truth that men receive more pay for their ability to get others to perform than they could possibly earn by their own efforts. An efficient leader may, through his knowledge of his job and the magnetism of his personality, greatly increase the efficiency of others, and induce them to render more service and better service than they could render without his aid. Number five, lack of imagination. Without imagination, the leader is incapable of meeting emergencies and of creating plans by which to guide his followers efficiently. Number six, selfishness. The leader who claims all the honor for the work of his followers is sure to be met by resentment. The really great leader claims none of the honors. He is contented to see the honors. When there are any, go to his followers, because he knows that most men will work harder for commendation and recognition than they will for money alone. Number seven, intemperance. Followers do not respect an intemperate leader. Moreover, Intemperance, in any of its various forms, destroys the endurance and the vitality of all who indulge in it. Number eight, disloyalty. Perhaps this should have come at the head of the list. The leader who is not loyal to his trust and to his associates, those above him and those below him, cannot long maintain his leadership. Disloyalty marks one as being less than the dust of the earth and brings down on one's head the contempt he deserves. Lack of loyalty is one of the major causes of failure in every walk of life. Number nine, emphasis of the authority of leadership. The efficient leader leads by encouraging and not by trying to instill fear in the hearts of his followers. The leader who tries to impress his followers with his authority comes within the category of leadership through force if a leader is a real leader he will have no need to advertise that fact except by his conduct his sympathy understanding fairness and a demonstration that he knows his job number 10 emphasis of a of title the competent leader requires no title to give him the respect of his followers The man who makes too much over his title generally has little else to emphasize. The doors to the office of the real leader are open to all who wish to enter, and his working quarters are free from formality or ostentation. These are among the more common of the causes of failure in leadership. Any one of these faults is sufficient to induce failure. Study the list carefully if you aspire to leadership and make sure that you are free of these faults. Some fertile fields in which new leadership will be required. Before leaving this chapter, your attention is called to a few of the fertile fields in which there has been a decline of leadership and in which the new type of leader may find an abundance of opportunity first in the field of politics there is a most insistent demand for new leaders a demand which indicates nothing less than an emergency second the banking business is undergoing a reform third industry calls for new leaders the future leader in industry to endure must regard himself as a quasi-public Official whose duty is to manage his trust in such a way that it will work hardship on no individual or group of individuals. Fourth, the religious leader of the future will be forced to give more attention to the temporal needs of his followers in the solution of their economic and personal problems of the present and less attention to the dead past and the yet unborn future. Fifth, in the possessions of law, medicine, and education, a new brand of leadership, and to some extent new leaders, will become a necessity. This is especially true in the field of education. The leader in that field must, in the future, find ways and means of teaching people how to apply the knowledge they receive in school. He must deal more with practice and less with theory. Sixth. New leaders will be required in the field of journalism. These are but a few of the fields in which opportunities for new leaders and a, brand, a new brand of leadership are now available. The world is undergoing a rapid change. This means that the media through which the changes in human habits are promoted must be adapted to the changes. The media here described are the ones which, more than any others, Determine the trend of civilization. When and how to apply for a position. The information described here is the net result of many years of experience during which thousands of men and women were helped to market their services effectively. Experience has proved that the following media offer the most direct and effective methods of bringing the buyer and the seller of personal services together. Number one employment bureaus care must be taken to select only reputable bureaus the management of which can show adequate records of achievement of satisfactory results there are comparatively few such bureaus number two advertising in newspapers trade journals magazines classified advertising may usually be relied upon to produce satisfactory results in the case of those who apply for clerical or ordinary salaried positions. Display advertising is more desirable in the case of those who seek executive connections. The copy to appear in the section of the paper which is most apt to come to the attention of the class class of employ, employer being sought. The copy should be prepared by an expert who understands how to inject sufficient selling qualities to produce Replies. Number three, personal letters of application directed to particular firms or individuals most apt to need such services as are being offered. Letters should be neatly typed, always and signed by hand. With the letter should be sent a complete brief or outline of the applicant's qualifications. Both the letter of application and the brief of experience or qualifications should be prepared by an expert. See instructions as to information to be supplied. Number four, application through personal acquaintances. When possible, the applicant should endeavor to approach prospective employers through some mutual acquaintance. This method of approach is particularly advantageous in the case of those who seek executive connections and do not wish to appear to be peddling themselves. Application in person. This is number five. In some instances, it may be more effective if the applicant offers personally his services to prospective employers, in which event a complete written statement of qualifications for the position should be presented. For the reason that prospective employers often wish to discuss one's record with associates. Information to be supplied in a written brief. This brief should be prepared as carefully as a lawyer would prepare the brief of a case to be tried in court. Unless the applicant is experienced in the preparation of such briefs, an expert should be consulted and his services is enlisted for this purpose. Successful merchants employ men and women who understand the art and the psychology of advertising to present the merits of their merchandise. One who has personal services for sale should do the same. The following information should appear in the brief. Number one, education. State briefly, but definitely, what schooling you have had and in what subjects you specialized in school, giving the reasons for that specialization. 2. Experience. If you have had experience in connection with positions similar to the one you seek, describe it fully. State names and addresses of fir- former employers. Be sure to bring out clearly any special experience you may have had which would equip you to fill the position you seek. 3 references. Practically every business firm desires to know all about your previous records, antecedents, etc. of prospective employees who seek positions of responsibility. Attach to your brief photostatic copies of letters from former employers, teachers under whom you studied, prominent people whose judgment may be relied upon. 4. Photograph of self. Attach to your brief a recent unmounted photograph of yourself. 5. Apply for a specific position. Avoid application for a position without describing exactly what particular position you seek. Never apply for just a position. That indicates you lack specialized qualifications. Number six, state your qualifications for the particular position for which you apply. Give full details as to the reason you believe you are qualified for this particular position you seek. This is the most important detail of your application. I will determine, It will determine more than anything else what consideration you receive. Seven, offer to go to work on probation. This may appear to be a radical suggestion but experience has proved that it seldom fails to win at least a trial if you are sure of your qualifications a trial is all you need incidentally such an offer indicates that you have confidence in your ability to fill the position you seek it is most convincing make clear the fact that you offer that your offer is based upon a your confidence in your ability to fill the position, b. Your confidence in your prospective employer's decision to employ you after trial, and c. Your determination to have the position. 8. Knowledge of your prospective employer's business. Before applying for a position, do sufficient research in connection with the business to familiarize yourself thoroughly with that business. And indicate in your brief the knowledge you have acquired in this field. This will be impressive as it will indicate that you have imagination and a real interest in the position you seek. Remember that it is not the lawyer who knows the, the most law but the one who best prepares his case who wins. If your case is properly prepared and presented your victory will have been more than half won at the outset. Do not be afraid of making your brief too long. Employers are just as much interested in purchasing the service of well-qualified applicants as you are in securing employment. In fact, the success of most successful employers is due in the main to their ability to select well-qualified lieutenants. They want all the information available. Remember another thing. Neatness in the preparation of your brief will indicate that you are a painstaking person. I have helped to prepare briefs for clients which were so striking and out of the ordinary that they resulted in the employment of the applicant without a personal interview. When your brief has been completed, have it neatly bound and lettered or typed similar to the following brief of the qualifications of Robert K. Smith, applying for the position of private secretary to the president of the blank company, Inc. Change names each time the brief is shown. This personal touch is sure to command attention. Have your brief neatly typed or mimeographed on the finest paper you can obtain and bound with a heavy paper of the book cover variety the binder to be changed, and the proper firm name to be inserted, if it is to be shown to more than one company. Your photograph should be pasted on one of the pages of your brief. Follow these instructions to the letter, improving upon them whenever your imagination suggests. Successful salesmen groom themselves with care. They understand that first impressions are lasting. Your brief is your salesman. Give it a good suit of clothes, so it will stand out in bold contrast to anything your prospective employer ever saw in the way of an application for a position. If the position you seek is worth having, it is worth going after with care. Moreover, if you sell yourself to an employer in a manner that impresses him with your individuality, you probably will receive more money for your services from the very start than you would if you applied for employment in the usual conventional way. If you seek employment through an advertising agency or an employment agency, have the agent use copies of your brief in marketing your services. This will help to gain preference for you both with the agent and the prospective employers. How to get the exact position you desire. Everyone enjoys doing the kind of work for which he is best suited. An an artist loves to work with paints, a craftsman with his hands, a writer loves to write. Those with less definite talents have their preferences for certain fields of business and industry. If America does anything well, it offers a full range of occupations, tilling the soil, manufacturing, marketing, and the professions. First, Decide exactly what kind of job you want. If the job doesn't already exist, perhaps you can create it. Second, choose the company or individual for whom you wish to work. Third, study your prospective employer as to policies, personnel, and chances of advancement. Fourth, by analysis of yourself, your talents, and capabilities, figure out what you can offer and plan ways and means of giving advantages, services, developments, ideas that you believe you can successfully deliver. Fifth, forget about a job. Forget whether or not there is an opening. Forget the usual routine of, have you got a job for me? Concentrate on what you can give. Sixth, once you have your plan in mind, arrange with an experienced writer to put it on paper in neat form and in full detail seventh present it to the proper person with authority and he will do the rest every company is looking for men who can give something of value whether it be ideas services or connections every company has room for the man who has a definite plan of action which is to the advantage of the company This line of procedure may take a few days or weeks of extra time, but the difference in income in advancement and in gaining recognition will save years of hard work at small pay. It has many advantages, the main one being that it will often save from one to five years of time in reaching a chosen goal. Every person who starts or gets in halfway up the ladder does so by deliberate and careful planning. The new way of marketing services. Men and women who market their services to best advantage in the future must recognize the change which has taken place in connection with the relationship between employer and employee. The future relationship between employers and their employees will be more in the nature of a partnership consisting of a the employer b the employee c the public they serve this new way of marketing personal services is called new for many reasons first both the employer and the employee of the future will be considered as fellow employees whose business it will be to serve the public efficiently in times past employers and employees have bartered among themselves, driving the best bargains they could with one another, not considering that in the final analysis they were, in reality, bargaining at the expense of the third party, the public they served. Courtesy and service are the watchwords of merchandising today, and apply to the person who is marketing personal services, even more directly than to the employer, whom he serves, because in the final analysis, both the employer and his employee are employed by the public they serve. If they fail to serve well, they pay by the loss of their privilege of serving. If they fail to serve well, they pay by the loss of their privilege of serving. We can all remember the time when the gas meter reader pounded on the door hard enough to break the panels. When the door was opened, he pushed his way in, uninvited, with a scowl on his face, which plainly said, What the hell did you keep me waiting for? All that has undergone a change. The meter man now conducts himself as a gentleman who is delighted to be at your service, sir. Before the gas companies learned that their scowling meter men Were accumulating liabilities never to be cleared away, the polite salesman of oil burners came along and did a land office business. During the Depression, I spent several months in the anthracite coal region of Pennsylvania, studying conditions which all but destroyed the coal industry. The coal operators and their employees drove sharp bargains with one another, adding the cost of the bargaining to the price of the coal, until finally they discovered they had built up a wonderful business for the manufacturers of oil-burning outfits and the producers of crude oil. These illustrations are brought to the attention of those who have personal services to market, to show that we are where we are and what we are because of our own conduct. If there is a principle of cause and effect which controls business, finance, and transportation, this principle controls individuals and determines their economic status. What is your QQS rating? The causes of success in marketing services effectively and permanently have been clearly described. Unless those causes are studied, analyzed, understood, and applied, No man can market his services effectively and permanently. Every person must be his own salesman of personal services. The quality and the quantity of service rendered and the spirit in which it is rendered determine to a large extent the price and the duration of employment. To market personal services effectively... Which means a permanent market at a satisfactory price under pleasant conditions, one must adopt and follow the QQS formula, which means that quality plus quantity plus the proper spirit of cooperation equals perfect salesmanship of service. Remember the QQS formula, but do more, apply it as a habit. Let us analyze. The formula to make sure we understand exactly what it means. Number one, quality of service shall be construed to mean the performance of every detail in connection with your position in the most efficient manner possible, with the object of greater efficiency always in mind. Two, quantity of service shall be understood to mean the habit of rendering all the service of which you are capable. At all times, with the purpose of increasing the amount of service rendered as greater skill is developed through practice and experience. Emphasis is again placed on the word habit. Three, spirit of service shall be construed to mean the habit of agreeable, harmonious conduct, which will induce cooperation from associates and fellow employees. Adequacy of quality and quantity of service is not sufficient to maintain a permanent market for your services. The conduct or the spirit in which you deliver service is a strong determining factor in connection with both the price you receive and the duration of employment. Andrew Carnegie stressed this point more than others in connection with his description of the factors which lead to success in the marketing of personal services. He emphasized again and again the necessity for harmonious conduct. He stressed the fact that he would not retain any man no matter how great a quantity or how efficient the quality of his work unless he worked in the spirit of harmony. Mr. Carnegie insisted upon men being agreeable. To prove that he placed a high value upon this quality, he helped many men who conformed to his standards to become very wealthy. Those who did not conform had to make room for others. The importance of a pleasing personality has been stressed because it is a factor which enables one to render service in the proper spirit. If one has a personality which pleases and renders service in a spirit of harmony, these assets often make up the deficiencies in both the quality and the quantity of service one renders nothing however can be successfully substituted for pleasing conduct the capital value of your services the person whose income is derived entirely from the sale of personal services is no less a merchant than the man who sells commodities And it might well be added, such a person is subject to exactly the same rules of conduct as the merchant who sells merchandise. This has been emphasized because the majority of people who live by the sale of personal services make the mistake of considering themselves free from the rules of conduct and the responsibilities attached to those who are engaged in marketing commodities. The day of the go-getter has passed. He has been supplemented by the go-giver. The actual capital value of your brains may be determined by the amount of income you can produce by marketing your services. A fair estimate of the capital value of your services may be made by multiplying your annual income by 16 and two-thirds, as it is reasonable to estimate that your annual income represents 6% of your capital value. Money rents for 6% per annum. Money is worth no more than brains. It is often worth much less. Competent brains, if effectively marketed, represent a much more desirable form of capital than that which is required to conduct a business dealing in commodities because brains are a form of capital which cannot be permanently depreciated through depressions nor can this form of capital be stolen or spent. Moreover, the money, which is essential for the conduct of business, is worthless as sand sand dune until it has been mixed with efficient brains. Thank you for another episode of the Law of Success Mastermind. We will be on the second half of organized planning in Think and Grow Rich tomorrow evening. Have a great night. Talk to you tomorrow.